You're listening to Frontlines, a podcast for the people that truly make mountain biking happen. Not the riders, racers, or product designers, but the builders, advocates, and the often forgotten board members of your local mountain bike trail association. Many don't realize about volunteering on a nonprofit mountain bike trail association outside of those who do is that it's like running a business in your free time. And like any business, it takes a wide variety of skills and abilities from the team that runs the organization. Last week, we spoke about what makes a strong board of directors. This week, we're going to dive into one specific aspect of running a bike club, branding, marketing, and promotions. I'm your host, Brent Hillier, and this is episode 22 of Frontlines. My guest is Brandon Gallagher Watson. He's the marketing chairperson at Mork, or the Minnesota Off-Road Cyclists. Hi, Brandon. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Brent. Thanks for having me. What's your background and, and what made you decide to, to reach out to the podcast? I heard you say on a podcast a couple weeks ago, that your reason for starting this podcast is you couldn't find one that was covering topics relevant to mountain biking you were interested in. Mm-hmm. I heard about it through Matt Andrews when you guys started talking about this like break from IMBA. And there was like multiple episodes in a row that were kind of unintentionally sort of focusing on all these sort of strifes and struggles that were going on in mountain biking. And that's what kind of made me think of, oh, that's sort of what prompted me to get involved in um, the mountain bike organization myself was seeing it always sort of being presented in kind of these negative ways. Like you said, we'll, we'll touch on that in a bit. But that was my like reason of reaching out to you of like, hey, I've got an idea for an uh, you know, episode that would be relevant to the audience of, of the Frontlines scene, but have it more focused on some of the stuff that hopefully will have some good sort of like conceptual ideas, but also have some actual meaningful take-homes that you can implement pretty cheap in your own club. So, and I'll also say at the outset that I am not an expert in this stuff at all. And I'm not ever trying to say that the organization I work with does everything right at all, (laughs) because we sure as heck don't. In my day job, I'm a creative director of a company, but I don't have a marketing background. I have a graphic design and plant care science background, and I happen to work for a company that's a tree care company that develops products that we sell to other tree care companies for treating insect and disease problems. So I got started in marketing by basically being a researcher at my company, but because I had an art and design background, I sort of ended up in our marketing department. And so People who went to school for marketing might have a totally different take on what marketing means. But because I come at it a lot from the visual identity side of it, I have a, a much different perspective than, than somebody who, like I said, would have gotten a four-year degree in what marketing would, would be classified as. What's the difference between branding, marketing, and promotions? There's a side of marketing that people often think about marketing being your creative look, right? You know, it's, it's your logo, it's your club name, it's your, you know, do we have jerseys for us? Do we have a, a web page? And that is part of marketing. So marketing, I roughly define it as it's a conscious decision about who you want to reach and how you plan to reach them. So if you're a big business, you do research into 
what are customers buying habits and where in the country are they located and what other kind of stuff are they interested in and then you come up with ways to reach these people so marketing also has this how part of it too which i kind of put under the classification of like marketing vehicles so that can be everything from social media websites newsletters trifold decals business cards so all of those sort of like you know physical items that you produce those all fall under the umbrella of marketing now branding is really more of a a why you are who you are and it also really affects who you appeal to so this is really what we kind of think about with like the visual identity like your logo and your swag your photos but there's also part of branding that's also the voice of your your organization is your brand do you come across as are you aggressive you know is your is your club about getting rad and you know hitting big jumps and being part of this like kind of you know x games themed feel of mountain biking, or are you uh, an organization that's about uh, a healthy bike community? Are you about advocating for trail access? Are you family friendly? Are you a race organization? Are you a primarily a trail building organization? Are you a outdoor recreation organization? So all of those little qualifiers I just threw out could all sort of help define who your brand is. And like I said, branding really has a strong influence on who comes to you. So if you have a young interested family who wants to get into the local mountain bike scene and they go to the local mountain bike organization's website and all they see is pictures of young men in their 20s getting rad and, you know, jumping off stuff and they're kind of like, oh, yeah, that's that's not mountain biking to me. I didn't I didn't you know, that doesn't appeal to me at all. Uh, you might unconsciously, you know, be kind of shaping the the what mountain biking means to your community. Brand is a is a conscious decision. And if you don't make it a conscious decision, then your brand ends up developing by default. And sometimes that can be great. And there's organizations that have 20 years of success without spending too much time thinking about the the who we are and what this means and what we look like. But if you conversely to that, if you don't actively sort of manage your voice or what your your the brand of your organization is about, you can end up like with a maybe an image of yourself that you didn't really think is representative of what your organization is about. So, for example, scroll through the last you know couple of months worth of your Facebook feed, and if somebody were to do that, what does that tell them about who you are? What what kind of images do they see? What kind of people on bikes do they see? Do they see only, you know, people of the same age group, of the same gender, of the same race, like all these type of things have a have an impact on the sort of who you are. And like I said, that has a big influence on who you appeal to. Uh, so those are so marketing and branding are kind of over in this category. And then we have a category of promotions. And a lot of people think that promotions are sort of what they do as marketing. So I put into the classification of Promotions, things like showing up at race events, having a table at a community open house, um, having information boards at trailheads, doing a fundraising events, uh, doing social rides, happy hours, any of those kind of things. Those are some people would say some of that's marketing. Well, they are, but they're they're sort of under that that vehicle umbrella of how are you getting this message out to people. So you have a who are you trying to reach? You have a what do we look like and who we are? And then you have a how are we actually getting out there and getting this message out to people? There can be a lot of different ways to to do it. And like I said, there's no there's no right or wrong. Like a, a company can be, you know, for example, in my industry, you can be Tom's Affordable Tree Care or you can be Tom's Premium Tree Care. Both of those are completely valid market niches to fill. But 
how you show up to the customer really determines if you're, you know, Bob's Affordable Tree Care and everybody drives Mercedes Benz on your sales team, you don't really show up as Bob's Affordable Tree Care. And conversely, if you're, you know, Bob's Premium Tree Care and you show up as in beat up trucks and unkempt looking shirts, that tells the customer like, oh, you're not really like what your brand says you were. So with a mountain bike group, you know, if you say you're about trail advocacy and working with land managers and developing new trails, but then all you see is pictures of people shredding trails on all of your imaging, then that might turn off a particular land manager who's concerned about this becoming a, you know, like a, you know, um, like we're not opening up our park to let you guys basically uh, turn it into a, a Mountain Dew commercial. So those are the kind of things that, like I said, if you're not actively consciously managing what your brand is about, some of this stuff can kind of get away from you and maybe, you know, ends up giving an image of your, your organization that wasn't consistent with who you think you are. And I think we fight a lot of the the branding and imaging that the greater mountain bike industry produces with with trying to to put across this this different and unique brand. And so, you know, if, if you're not actively trying to to create a, a brand that that your club can identify with i guess you're getting you're getting kind of overwhelmed by greater mountain biking right which is uh you know and, and for lack of a better term that mountain do you know x games uh kind of crowd right that um uh you know internet video um type mountain bike style yeah you know I, to that when you know a couple of weeks ago you were talking about meeting with the uh guy from trek and he was saying that he hadn't really thought about how these images of kind of people tearing up trails and like doing some really cool, fun looking stuff on bikes. But that does have this image of like when I tell people I mountain bike, they immediately assume that, you know, I'm, you know, jumping off cliffs. And they also probably assume I'm a lot better at mountain biking than I actually am. But there is a whole other side of mountain biking that I go out and do with my kids that looks nothing like that. It doesn't have people in downhill helmets. And again, I also don't want to ever come off that I'm saying like the that you know, downhill style mountain biking is somehow a bad image for mountain biking. Absolutely not at all. That's a huge part of our industry, right? And a huge part of who gets into mountain biking is people who want to be in sort of the action sports side of, of what the this, this sport can be. But just keep in mind, if that's not exactly your entire brand image you want to be portraying, then be thinking about what other type of images, what other, you know, if you're going to do a brochure, um, for example, our organization produced a brochure and unconsciously, the very first draft of it that I produced had a lot of really great photos of people like, you know, hitting it hard on bikes and coming down some of our trails. And I foolishly just kind of looked at it. I was like, oh, this looks really cool. And some of the people in our organization said, wow, this looks really cool. However, can we get in some families? Can we get in some women? Can we get in some people of color? Can we get in some, you know, people in the winter? Can we do people in the summertime? Can we do people in the fall time? And it's kind of like, oh, yeah, I had basically just shown mountain biking, you know, not consciously, but just, oh, here's four photos that looked really cool. But those four photos were all basically in summertime of a 20-some-year-old white male bombing down a hill and looking really cool. And when we want to portray mountain biking in our market, we're right in the heart of the Twin Cities. So we're right in an urban area. We want to make mountain biking look like it's a accessible sport, whether you're um, no matter what color, economic class or style of bike you choose to ride. So we 
consciously switched out all those photos to basically like a little photo kind of grouping of different people doing different things on bikes with the said families. There's, you know, different genders. There's, you know, different types of bikes in the pictures, different type of helmets, all that kind of stuff that makes it look like mountain biking is a lot broader than than my first uh, run at it was sort of portrayed. Now, we've had a discussion before and, and you mentioned that there was there was something else in in the social media presence with with Mork before you kind of got involved and and uh, and started working with them and and what was that? I thought stuff was negative and I wanted to get involved with it. But what I was really finding was I followed the group on social media, Facebook in particular, and the ninety eight percent of the posts that were happening were all about trail closures. We're an organization that actively closes our trails when they're wet and unrideable. And we didn't have a whole lot else to be talking about at the time. So if you scrolled through like a year and a half for the post, the only things that were on there were the trails are closed, the trails are closed, the trails are closed. And then because of the message always being around the trails are closed, we would always have all the input we were getting from our followers was all about when are you guys going to open the trails? I can't believe the trails are closed again. Is this thing ever going to be open this summer? And I just sort of felt like looking at the sort of message that was out there was mountain biking looked kind of like a pain in the ass and it looked like it was always closed and it didn't look that fun because basically all the people who were sort of commenting back and forth had a sort of negative tone in their, in their messaging. And this is where I say, a brand sort of develops by default if you're not actively doing anything about it. So nobody set out to say, I want to do two years worth of posts that basically say, stay off the trails when they're wet, damn it. But yet that's what two years of posts had had come across as because that was just a default like, well, you know, every time it rains, let's make sure we put a message up there. So I sort of consciously got involved with the organization to try to change that message, even if we're going to talk about trail closures, that we talk about trail closures, not as a mountain bike thing. And this is not unique to our group at all. I see this all over social media. Mountain bikers love to shame the other people who were riding the trails that were poaching them when they were closed. And, um, you know, there was even people like, you know, actually tagging the actual rider if they knew who it was in the like public post about this. And there's some value possibly in public shaming, but it kind of says, oh, what's the, do I want to get involved in a group like this that, you know, is basically literally calling people out for doing stuff like this? So one of the first kind of little social experiments I did when I got involved was make a post that was about trail closures, but it was all about, we need your help educating your friends on why trails are closed. And if we don't have to go back and fix trails that were already built, we can spend a lot more time making you more trails. And that message got like a, a t other mountain bike organizations were sharing our post. We had tons of people actually sharing it with their friends and it became, we're still saying the same message, basically don't ride wet trails, but we'd taken that message from a negative conversation about stay off them or else kind of attitude to a, Hey, did you know you shouldn't do this and help educate your friends? You know, sharing is caring. If you let people know why this is, we're going to have to spend a lot less time fixing the crap that we already have going. And those are those kind of like little subtle ways that you can change the voice that you're speaking from. 
and turn something that could be a, I mean, you're still kind of saying a negative. You're basically still saying, stay the heck off a wet trail, but you're saying it in a way that doesn't make anybody wrong. It makes it a positive message and it makes people more apt to share that message because they want to share messages that are more positive. People don't want to share trail closed messages, but you have something about, did you know that trails are closed because of this reason? Then we find we get a lot better kind of positive response to it. So I've really seen, since I've been handling the social media for our organization, we started a few years ago with about, we had a little under 3,000 followers on our Facebook page. And we just surpassed, we're, I think we're up to like 5,800 at the moment. And I really noticed that kind of the, as soon as we sort of like started changing the message consciously towards a more positive, you know, again, our group is about mountain bike advocacy. And that means getting people excited about baking, making it sound like a fun thing, making it sound like a family thing, making it sound like a community thing. By actively changing that voice on our site, I really noticed a, a an increase in positive message coming into us, a increase in, or I should say, conversely, a decrease in the negative messages that were posted on, you know, we, you know, when I kind of first started getting involved, you'd post a picture of something that was just somebody having fun on a bike and somebody would have a kind of crappy comment about what they thought a trail condition should be or what, you know, this new feature that got built and how they didn't think it was that cool. And I think it's funny because over the last year and a half, I don't think I've seen, I mean, literally less than a handful of negative messages come into our organization at all. Now, it's not to say that people still don't have issues with our organization. Again, like I said, I'm not out here saying that we're doing everything right and just do what we do and it'll be great. But it is a thing we've been actively learning and being able to monitor to see a if you put out a positive message, you get back a positive response. And conversely, if you're putting out a negative message, you tend to get back a negative response. How important is a logo for a trail association? A logo is the most important thing you can have and the least important thing you can have. Let's <laughs> say okay. uh, pe people love having cool looking logos and mountain biking has Maybe some of the most clever acronyms of like, you know, try to come up with your organization name so it spells out something like, you know, it spells out pedal because we're the uh, pedaling enthusiasts of the Dallas local. I mean, it's just like, you know, you try to come up with some word to sort of fit what you're what you're doing. Great. And, you know, but like everything in the visual identity really matters if it's backing up what the brand is really about, right? So if you have a message that your group is about community and trail building and your logo features, you know, somebody doing a, a bike park jump, you know, like a cool trick or a handlebar spin or something like that, that might not be consistent with what the brand is about. But there's also, you know, just as a, I'm a graphic designer myself. And so there's a lot of I'm certainly interested in logos and a cool looking logo can sort of make or break your audience's interest in who you are. If you have cool looking swag, people want cool looking swag. And I see a lot of really cool graphic design things in the mountain bike world. And I see a lot of really terrible looking clip art designs in the mountain bike world. And a lot of that probably comes down to what your organization's resources are. If you are fortunate enough to have someone who's a graphic designer who's also an avid mountain biker in your area, they might jump at the chance to design a cool logo for you. But also, like I said, it's uh, logos are super important because they, you know, a logo is a, you know, I mean, why it's called a brand, right? Is it something that you can stick on that says I'm part of this and logo consistency? It's probably one that you know is almost just as important as what the logo itself is. 
And this is probably one that I'm as guilty out of anybody because I want to do designs that I sort of think are cool. And then I have to step back and be like, all right, is this actually fit in with what we're doing and what our brand identity is and all that kind of stuff. But you can find a good logo makes your you know organization look, you know, can make it look professional, which can have a huge impact and not professional like we're, you know, like a for-profit company, but it makes this look like we're not just a um, seven advocates for the sport who showed up at your community uh, event trying to get a land manager to approve trail building. If you show up with professional looking materials, you have a whole different come to of who these people think you are and what they think mountain biking now looks like. You know, if you have a professional looking brochure with a professional looking logo, you look a whole lot different than, you know, just showing up with a, a Word document about what you'd like to do um, for, for building a trail there. But Again, that's absolutely not to say that these things are required. They are definitely a bonus and a good looking logo can make you look a good looking logo. Let's put it this way. A bad logo has not as much of an impact as you for you that a good logo would have. And a bad logo doesn't really make or break who you are. Um, but it's one of those when people think about we need a brand identity or we need to sort of re, you know, refresh what our club looks like. You, you generally start with a logo and there's no um, th there's nothing wrong with that at all, because a logo really can can drive what your social media icon looks like, what your T-shirts look like. You know, if you're going to produce hats, what's your hat look like? Um, so, you know, a good logo is scalable. It'll look good, whether it's a postage stamp size or whether it's the size of a billboard. It'll look good whether it's an embroidery in one color or if it's in four color on the front of a brochure. If you work with somebody who's actually helping you develop a real, you know, kind of, you know, functional logo, they'll take all those kind of things into account of what could this look like like this. And there can be variations you can use for different applications. But as a designer, I'm biased to say logos are crazy important, but I'm also learned through my years of doing this kind of stuff that really those kind of things are less important than, than people like to think. You know, like if I'm building a little pyramid, you know, of, of priority, the visual identity is the very tip of this pyramid. And that is everything that's supporting that pyramid about what's our brand voice? What's our brand about? What's our organization's core belief? What's our core, you know, if I were to say, I just thought of this as I'm speaking, a tagline is almost just as important as a logo. Your What's your elevator speech about who you are? Like those kind of things of like our organization, we have an easy tagline where it's gaining and maintaining trails. So that says right there, what do we do? We advocate to get more trails and we're responsible with volunteers to maintain the trails that are already built. So now I can say, what does the rest of our material do to support that? Does a brochure I put together on our mountain bike organization, if I don't show trail building in there, then I've completely missed what we actually just said. Like I showed a bunch of people riding bikes. That's not what our group said. Our group didn't say our brand is about riding bikes in Minnesota. Like we're the Minnesota off-road cyclists, but our brand or what our organization is about is about gaining and maintaining trails. So I got to be conscious about, all right, am I doing enough that shows we gain and maintain trails? Do we show enough trail building stuff? Are we using that as the way to push volunteers? Now, we want to push riding. Absolutely. That's what we are actually out here to do, right? But our organization is about gaining and maintaining trails. So 
like I said, what my visual identity is, it really doesn't matter in the end if I'm gaining and maintaining trails with a purple logo, a red logo, or black and white, or if there's a person, you know, like a downhill biker on there, or if it's just a, a, a cog or a, a gear or something like that. All of those things are great, but they really don't visual, they don't matter as much as we think they do. It's what's supporting that pyramid is a lot more important to what your organization sort of comes off as. Well, it sounds like it, it, can also help internally as well with, you know, we talk a lot of, you know, in the corporate world, it's all about vision statements and, and, and kind of what is your, your, your company motto or, or your, your, your vision for the future. And, and so by having that tagline, it almost would help the board members understand what they're truly doing and what their goals should be aligned with. Totally. A couple of weeks ago, there was a guy from uh, Arkansas, I believe, on your podcast, mm-hmm. and he yeah. said their uh, organization's tagline was playing in the dirt since for 20 years. Or so. It was something along those lines. And forgive me for not remembering their exact thing. But as I heard that, I was like, good. That's a tagline that says we're about fun and we're about like we're not taking this all too seriously. And that can be like, you know, that appeals to everyone from a trail builder to a 12 year old going out with his parents to ride bikes. You know, it's like they have that mentality that we're about fun and playing in the dirt. It's like, boom, now you've got a a thing you can build a brochure around that shows people building trails and getting dirty. You can show people like sweating or have like speckled mud on their face or riding hard, you know, that kind of stuff. So what whatever your particular message is going to be, that's to me more important than the visual identity. And like I said, that's almost hard to say as a guy who's a graphic designer and really obsesses about the visual identity of stuff. But I really feel like if in the end, like if you know, Merck right now uses like a bluish color as sort of our base color. But if we switch to a, a pink color as our background, it doesn't change at all the who we are, right? Um, but from a internal marketing, I think that's absolutely important. When people say, I'm on the, you know, my local, I mean, to be honest, I mean, going back to names, my organization's name, <laughs> Mork. <laughs> No one under the age of 40 thinks of Mork as anything other than Robin Williams in a, uh, in, in a 70s TV show, right? <laughs> and so when I, when I tell people I'm involved in my local mountain bike organization, I almost never say I'm on the board of Mork because the name means nothing outside of our sort of little circle of who's into mountain biking. And so I always say that I'm a part of the, I'm on the board of directors for my local mountain bike advocacy group. Because it's easier than saying the name of it and then having to explain the name of it. And there's other names out there that are great acronyms. And again, I'm not just saying the name of my own organization. I don't want to come across that at all. But you guys got to be realizing like, oh, if I'm doing my elevator pitch to someone, the name of my organization doesn't even matter. The what we're doing is I'm on the board of directors for our local mountain bike advocacy group. And we're into gaining and maintaining trails. So it's like the name of the organization doesn't really matter. The look and feel of it doesn't really matter. It's the, what are we about? And if I can say that in one sentence, then the rest of these pieces that I'm starting putting together um, kind of fall in line naturally and kind of help tell that story. Awesome. Let's say an organization maybe has the capacity or, or they want to start that process of, of, let's, you know, as an example, let's, let's say redoing their logo or maybe creating a logo for the first time. Maybe up until this point, they've only had, you know, a photograph of, of somebody riding or people building trails or a photograph of a shovel or something on their Facebook page. They want something else. They want a logo. Not everybody's going to have a, a graphic designer either on their board or, or even at their disposal within their writing 
and community. What are some things that groups with limited resources can do, or are there resources out there that that they can take advantage of? These days, there's a whole, um, it's kind of, it's classified as a gig economy website. So there's websites that you can hire people for really cheap to just design a, a logo for you. Basically tell them we're a bike organization. We want to have a um, some sort of bike tool involved in it. We want it to look kind of like cool and modern, and but vintage and hipstery. And somebody could come up with a logo for you. But like I said, that would sort of be step two. Step one would be doing a clear definition of what your organization's sort of purposes or come from is. And if you were going to find a for hire designer, you know, you could literally spend anywhere from 10 bucks on a logo to a thousand bucks on a logo. And you're not going to necessarily get a better logo at a thousand dollars if that what are we about wasn't clearly defined at the beginning. So somebody for $10 could do you a pretty rad logo and it would basically, you know, be a good, good enough for what you need it for. Um, but again, if it didn't have that sort of, what are we about built into it? it almost, like I said, doesn't matter as much about what it actually looks like in the end. There's a website called fiverr.com, which I actually do design work for. I design homebrew labels for people. And that's a like passion project for me. It's fun to do. Um, I'm a home brewer and I like to design labels for people. And people hire me for basically dirt cheap to do homebrew labels for it. And it's something that I do because it's fun for me. But on a site like Fiverr.com, you could find a designer who could design you a logo that would be serviceable for, you know, a heck of a lot cheaper than trying to go to a local um, ad agency, for example. So if you went to an ad agency, they would do a month's worth of work to figure out what are you about and who is your brand and all this stuff before they even showed you a single concept about what it could look like. If you have the resources to do that, man, all the better. Once you decide you wanted, you know, you, you like your visual identity, then it really comes down to what are we doing with this now? Like is our visual identity in support of awareness and advocacy? Is it for recruiting members? Is it for fundraising? Is it for sort of a subgroup identity that we want all of our mountain bikers around to have a sticker of our club on their helmets? What is the purpose of what this stuff's going to be used for above and beyond just, oh, if we're uh, seven of us on a board, we better have a logo for the board. I think a lot of people are guilty of of starting with what sounds like is the last step, and that is the, the literal image. <laughs> of the organization rather than than that that figurative image and and I think I'm guilty of this as well. I mean, I I jumped onto a a, a logo maker website and kind of slapped some things together to to try to come up with my logo when when you know, I was really trying to work with images to start with as opposed to what is this all about? And it's uh I think it's a great piece of advice for people is to really really think about what your organization is about before getting into that that actual image. Yeah. And again, be thinking too about who, what's your audience for this. And the audience doesn't necessarily mean the ridership of who's the people who are already into mountain biking. You know, there's an audience for sponsors and partners. There's a audience that are land managers. Like when you show up at this community meeting, because they're talking about putting trails in, do you guys have shirts that make you look like, you know, the type of organization they'd want to be working with? If you show up at a local uh, duck duck days carnival and your organization has a tent there who's working that tent what do you guys look like how do you talk to people about getting out and um, try mountain biking for the first time so those are, are a bigger part of what your brand id is and what your club is sort of being in your market i said rather than you know worrying so much about what the visual side of it looks like awesome well brandon i want to thank you for taking the time to chat with me i really appreciate it 
It's been a pleasure, Brent. Thanks, man. Big thanks to Brandon for sharing his experience with us. If anyone has something they'd like to share with the Frontlines community, then there's a few ways that you can get in touch. You can find the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at FrontlinesMTB. And you can send me an email or audio file at FrontlinesMTB at gmail.com. Next episode will be about the cycling industry, mountain bike media, and advocacy. Thank you to everyone who has contributed to the episode. I've got a few more interviews to record over the next week, but it's still not too late if you want to add your voice. You have until August 13th to reach out. Don't forget, support the show via PayPal. You can find a link in the show notes as well as links to the Minnesota off-road cyclists. And once again, music is by Lee Rosevear, production notes by Jennifer Pride. And finally, I'm Brent Hillier. This is Frontlines. Thanks for listening, and happy trails.